Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Monument Lab Director Paul Farber, University of Michigan Museum of Art Assistant Curator of Global Contemporary Art, Ozi Uruma, and artist Chinupahanska Luger. We gathered together in Ann Arbor, Michigan in late September 2023 at the University of Michigan's Media Center during the opening week of the monumental project and accompanying exhibition by Luger titled, You're Welcome. This work was developed over the course of two years between Chinupa Monument Lab and the University of Michigan Museum of Art. This podcast conversation was a chance for the three creatives to speak vulnerably to the process of taking on such a large endeavor and how much care and energy goes into the creation of a project of this magnitude. We learn about the three primary components to the presentation, including GIFT, an experimental time-based commissioned work by Luger on the front facade of UMA's Alumni Memorial Hall, which challenges institutional memory and the whitewashing of history. GIFT is accompanied by two indoor installations, Meet for the Beast in the museum's Irving Sten Jr. Family Gallery, which delves into Luger's artistic practice and the relationship between museum collections and resource extraction, and Monument Lab Public Classroom in the Art Gym, which examines formal and informal modes of memory. Moving through the conceptual application of this work, Paul, Ozi, and Chinupa break down the larger themes of whiteness, language, and time, and unpack the anchoring question of the project, how do we remember? The three offer their personal and professional reflections on implementing a project of this magnitude and its unknown long-term impact. And in speaking to GIFT and the larger constellation of exhibiting works, Paul reflects This is an art project that doesn't quite have a precedent. And that's the point. It has cousins and kin and points of inspiration and citation, but this work is actually seeking to do something that has never been done in this way before. So overall, Your Welcome explores the relationship between the museum's historic building, the land it stands on, and a long history of colonial narratives deeply embedded in public structures. It supports critical dialogues about the responsibilities of public institutions as cultural history makers and stewards, and it is a key component of UMA's ongoing efforts to challenge its history and practices to create an institution more reflective of its community and honest in its explorations of art, culture, and society. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. Let's just go around really quickly and introduce yourself, who you are, uh, who you affiliate with, and um, and then we can just kind of dive in. And maybe since you're sitting to the left of me, Paul, we'll start with you, and you can also name what the project is that we're talking about. Okay. Thank you for having us here. I'm Paul Farber director of Monument Lab and co-curator of You're Welcome, uh, an exhibition featuring Chinupa Hanska Luger at the University of Michigan Museum of Art. 
I'm Ozzy Udrama. Uh, I'm the other co-curator. Uh, I serve as the assistant assistant curator for global contemporary art at the University of Michigan Museum of Art. I am Chinupa Hanska Luger, uh, artist and co-creator of the uh, You're Welcome uh, exhibition at the University of Michigan Museum of Art. And so this project is, it has several layers to it. Uh, so maybe we can just start by digging into what those layers are, unpacking them. And I'm not going to point questions to any one of you because it feels like it's very much like a, a collaboration in a holistic sense. So whoever wants to jump in and talk about it, but I'd love to hear kind of like what the tiers are, what the layers are. <laughs> you don't I, know? I, 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 I work, I've just been showing up. I've been a sentient being at this point. I... Is that uh, by a choice or no? I think I think it's I I can't believe it's been two years. It feels yeah. like we only started maybe a couple of months ago. Mm. So every time somebody says we've been working on this two years, I'm like you're wrong. Like it's not. <laughs> it hasn't been two years. But so there are three components of the project. Uh, the first one, I guess, I'll start outside, which is gift, and it is the painting of of Alumni Memorial Hall, which is the home of uh, the museum. It's the old section of the museum for folks who uh, are familiar with or not familiar with the University of Michigan. And the building was built as a war memorial for students, faculty, and staff who died in, well, technically all wars, but specifically dedicated to the Civil War, Spanish-American War, and what's the other one? The Mexican-American Mexican -American War. War. Yeah. And so that was the alumni center before uh, the, what, 1910 when it became the, well, no, 1910 when it's built. And then it later became the um, home to the museum. So for that part of the project, uh, Chinupa uh, painted the word G-I-F-T on the pillars. And um, it came from the Treaty of Fort Miggs, for Miggs, uh, which is the treaty that led to the land that now sit now where the University of Michigan sits. Um, and in that treaty, it talks about the giving of this gift uh, of this land in exchange for um, educating the uh, children of the indigenous population that lived in that area that is now Ann Arbor. And the fact that it sits on this land, the kind of violence of the land, the whiteness of the land, the whiteness of the building and what the building represents. It is very traditional Greco-Roman, uh, like whatever you picture a museum of that caliber to be, that is the museum essentially. Very, you know, all representations of class of elitism and very much repelling people away. Um, and so Chinupa and a team of folks, which uh, by the time you're listening to this, they may have already painted it. Who knows? Um, but they will paint it by Friday morning. And they'll paint the whole entire building white using Kaylin that comes from Georgia. 
uh, as a way to think of through whiteness and the idea of whiteness, the act of painting it white and use. Oh, so we're thinking about land. We're thinking about weather that we're thinking about the whiteness of the building. Um, and the weather will act as a performer in this piece as will Chinupa painting. And I, I'm going to count the crew that's going to paint the building as performers as well. So uh, definitely. Yeah. So though, the, the, so though this is a, um, an installation, uh, of visual art it is actually performance art as well yeah no thank you for that actually this is chinupa for everybody who doesn't recognize my voice uh i really appreciate um sorry <laughs> ginger we're not going to be serious through this entire episode i know i'm <laughs> keeping it together uh i'm going to be using my radio voice that's so why i was please. laughing because <laughs> Whenever he can hear himself, it gets a little more. It dulcet tones. <laughs> yes, it moves down an octave. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, uh, gah. <laughs> I really liked it. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate you. I know, hearing myself. Now I can't not hear myself. I really appreciate your... Um, just kind of like broad stroke description of it because there are components in this that are really unfamiliar for me too as a maker. And I did, you know, mention that I am a, a collaborative, a, a co-creator of this work because I pitched a proposal, yeah. you know, and that proposal came here, but that proposal put in motion more and more uh, operatives, yeah. you know, cooperatives allies and uh, accomplices in the process of, of doing it, you know, where it becomes kind of no longer a physical object that I'm so used to creating with my hands and building and making and exhibiting, but rather, like you said, like a performance, you know, I value this piece more in its eventual absence than I do in its presence. And so that's, that feels, that feels like performance, you know? Yeah. And, you know, to to picking up on on both what Ozzy and Chinupu uh, were saying, and when you see a building that looks like a temple from uh, ancient Greece or ancient Rome, like what comes to your mind, or what do you feel? And I think you know Ozzy used the note of like repelling, like even for those who um, find deep connection with that building like it's to look up to it look away from it it's not to embrace it um it's not to have a warm feeling but it's instead to understand that it holds power and specifically power over you so over the last two years to be able to work toward the idea that chinupa as artist with collaborators accomplices um and 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 others will get a chance to experiment with it like that has to that had to cut against the practices of preservation. I mean, this is a building that is on land that uh, was in part created a campus because of um, the dishonoring of a gift from local indigenous tribes um, that ended up creating an endowment that created a university that we now think of not just as any old university, but one of the um, most well-known in the country um, that has its traditions. And it has symbols, including this alumni memorial hall that make it look like it's been there since antiquity. 
and it's there for perpetuity. And what is so powerful about working with you, Chinupa, is you said from the beginning, like, this is a blip on the sense of time we have here. And actually, you want to reveal that. And when you look closely at the building itself, despite the fact that it gets a lot of preservation energy and policy and resources, as do these kind of buildings all across the country, it's coming apart Mm -hmm. because it was made of geological process over tens of thousands of years, and it's coming apart as well. And so, you know, Chinuba used this word earlier today when we were walking around the building, like your project is highlighting something that we know in theory, but we don't often practice, that this is a construction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that highlighting is the use of this white clay, right? Like, we keep running into this thing where how difficult it was to pre- you know, put clay on the surface of this building and even calculating what the ratio of the viscosity of that, you know, clay to cover this surface. You know, these were all questions that keep popping up and they're like, nobody ever does that, you know? And I'm like, eh, I'm pretty sure plaster, you know, plastering walls is like... <laughs> one of the one of the major uses of clay, you know, um, but and and also, you know, we it's like what are these materials, you know? And the material aspect, I think, is something that I keep leaning into and highlighting it with a, another natural material from this region, this kaolin from Georgia, you know, mm-hmm. uh, six tile. You know, it's a name of a clay body. It was extracted from from the land in Georgia put in bags, shipped up here, like I'm participating in the mechanics of industry, you know, that that is a part of extraction. It's a part of displacement. And I'm putting this material onto the surface of this building to remind everybody that it is eroding, that it is slowly but surely and inevitably going to return to the place that it came, that our impact although great and affecting us and each other, you know, tremendously, is a slow and inevitable inevitable movement towards filling the quarry hole that the stone was pulled from in the first place. And we can pretend about how we build, how we take care of, how we maintain, how we preserve all of this sort of stuff. But on a scale that that I'm imagining, it's it's really insignificant. It's almost laughable in the absurdity uh, and the grandeur of the power that it perceptively holds, yeah. you know, which is which is the thing with this Greco-Roman neoclassical architecture is it's a it's a it's a it's a temple. It's like I want to hold that kind of space for my library for my uh, collection of doodads, you know, for my, <laughs> what, whatever it is. It's like, dude, it's, it's a temple. Like, step aside Zeus, you know. It's modeled after <laughs> something that existed centuries ago that's also crumbling. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, like, mm-hmm. why are you surprised? Right. I'm like, all the, all the pictures I've seen of the temples that it's modeling are in ruin. Yeah. Did you think about, um, did all of you or any of you think about time as uh, part of the medium when you initiated this project? Was was time very much like a cohort in this work? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. 3D beings living in a 4D universe for sure. Time. So, so is the whiteness, <laughs> is the whiteness being washed away 
something that you'd like to talk about now, maybe as far as your relationship to time and the effort of this project? Yeah, yeah. I, I think when we started this, it was a response to a, to an email, really, you know, and, and the way we ask each other things today, you know, <laughs> the cold the cold call of the 21st century. It's like, here's, a, here's an email. You've been selected as as a certain number to make a proposal. The proposal had this header of like this question: How do we remember? It also had a photograph of the uh, alumni memorial hall, you know. And it's like, can we do something here in response to this? And I'm like, it's it was funny to me because I was like, it's called alumni memorial hall. It's car. It's mem- memorial is literally carved into the stone of the building. And I love that alumni had the uh, the Latin V instead of the U. And it's like the only letter in alumni memorial hall that's like, this is old. Oh, look at the look at the use of this this archaic font. We don't even speak that way anymore. Anyway, I thought about all of that stuff. And I, I'm responding to the question, how do we remember? The remembering part wasn't what triggered the impulse. It was the we, the we part of that. Like, who's we? Who is the we in the context of a artifice, an imagined timeline in which Greek temples were here? Who's we in this exchange? Like, I don't get to remember the history that I was taught growing up, I, had, I was forced to memorize the history of, of the place that, that I grew up. And so I feel like that architecture, I feel like that style, I think even the, even the museum itself as a mental uh, experiment and model around where and how culture is stored and shared between communities, these are parts of how not, that's not how I remember you know, it's not how uh, customarily we were able to hold and maintain a lot of the objects that are inside of museums. Not necessarily this one, but this one and like this one. Things that are, you know, we're asking presently to be rematriated back to their homes, back to their communities, back to the cultures in which took care of it for a thousand years. This thing is built in 1910. I'm like... A hundred years ago, like that just doesn't resonate Mm -hmm. anywhere for deep time. And so looking at that architecture, the notion, my impulse is the, is the we, how do we remember? And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I don't even feel comfortable entering these spaces. And I chose a career that puts me in these spaces. And the reason why I go into these spaces is to address that tension that I feel in these spaces. Can we make them more accessible? Can we make them truly a place of, of cultural exchange and experience that's relevant to what we need presently? I know the architecture of it. I know the system of it was built a while ago, but we are in the process of becoming closer to one another and more honest with one another. And when I look at this building, my mind immediately makes it white Carrera marble disintegrating Mm -hmm. on a small island off the coast of Greece or somewhere in Italy. That's the mental picture that that I get when I see architecture like that. And it's not even white. Like, it literally took me a couple of looks to be like, it's not white, but it is in my mind. And it is in the way that I, that, 
I'm forced to memorize rather than remember. It's very white. It's very cold. It's very re- removed of, of anything that could possibly stain it or harm it. It's white in that sense. And so my thought was like, let's make it white. Let's actually make the building white with clay or any material. I always thought of it as being, you know, white slip. But painting the surface of, of it with that would allow the weather to slowly wash it away. And it's like, what does it mean when you blatantly and publicly whitewash something? Like, that's what we're doing. We've made a wash of white slip and we're whitewashing the history, the impact, the temple. Like these things are supposed, they exist in a place of uh, sacredness in a secular realm where mm-hmm. it's like, you can't mess with that. That's, that's our hundred year old building. It's under the historical registry. It's precious. You, it's, meanwhile, the building is actually falling apart. Right. And, 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 yeah. and meanwhile, the building is actually sandstone carved out of Ohio. Like there's a pit somewhere filling with water presently. And you went to that pit. We, we went there. Yeah, we followed Chanuba's path and you can go um, to that town and, you know, it's very close to the birthplace of uh, Toni Morrison, the great and late Nobel laureate, who worked out of a, uh, one of her first jobs was a library that very much had those same um, aspects of grandeur. Um, and her writing was bearing witness against that and despite that. And you see, you know, we, we encounter so many building materials every day. And, um, and I'm using the we in a big um, loaded way, <laughs> but extracted from the original environment and seeing places where in some sense, like there's great pride over the quarry that was there and a historic sign, but in other places it looked like the landscape like was still recovering mm-hmm. from this. And you can see the marks in which uh, machinery cuts into rock that had been there for tens of thousands of years and has all kinds of imprints of time over it and then gets placed somewhere else. Like it's, it's a big deal in Michigan to talk about Ohio. There's like this, all the sports rivalries, mm. but I, I when this conversation we're talking about here and there in very blurred terms, which is right. Like the, the place um, that we're conjuring is, is one of displacement period. Oh my God. So there's so much Ohio here at the University of Michigan. Oh, the shame. (laughs) I mean, Toledo was almost a part of Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was like a treaty or something like that. I don't know. I had to learn it for Michigan. I I, I remember, (laughs) I'm thinking about um, kind of two things. They're they're like, bring it back in. I'm thinking about the book uh, Trace by Lorette Savoy, where she says that half of the states' names in the United States are derived from indigenous languages and just goes right through. And you have this confrontation between the colonial names of of Georgia, Mm -hmm. let's say, or Pennsylvania with 50 states, half of which have names that were adapted, extracted from indigenous languages and ways of, of being. And then I'm thinking about an experience we had in this project, speaking of buildings, where we went to the Clements Library, one of the great, like, you know, archives of this university. And, you know, Ozzy had been working to arrange different kinds of materials related to indigenous histories. And Chanupa, you saw photographs of buildings mm. 
from your family's history that you had only heard about but hadn't seen. And I, I just think about that moment. And if you if you're recalling that, like what that experience was mm. was like in all of this conversation about buildings here and there. Yeah, totally. And how we remember, mm. right? Like uh, the town that we're talking about is a town called Elbow Woods that's in the bottom of Lake Sacagawea right now. And it's a town that was really close to our last used village by the Mandan Hidatsa people, which was called, um, it was a Mandan village called uh, uh, Like a Fishhook. And it was literally where the Missouri River did a 90-degree turn, and it was very fertile river valley. And we had a town that looked like... Uh, you know, like a Saturday evening post, you know, Norman Rockwell looking town, you know, but it still had the community. It was half a mile from this Earth Lodge village. Like there's stories that my grandfather talked about where my great grandmother would not sleep in the Norman Rockwell house. She would literally walk half a mile to go sleep in the Earth Lodge because uh, she was like, I can't sleep in these boxes, you know? Um, but there was this whole town, you know? It looked like made of, in the form of the American kind of narrative and dream. But under that surface, our clan system still functioned. We took care of each other the same way. We would erect those same little square houses this would, the way that we would, which was collectively together. The classic barn-raising stories, but these are customs that get moved on when a community is in proper and long relationship with each other, right? Where you trust each other, you rely on each other. It's like trust is thrown out the window. I'm dependent. I'm interdependent for our total well-being. And so this, this town existed. And for me, up until the moment that we, <laughs> that it was like selected and placed in front of me, it only existed as story. Mm. You know, these were words that were passed down, floated between people. My grandparents' house, legend has it in my heart through the family, <laughs> was the last house to leave Elba Woods. Like, like they literally put all of the homes on trucks and mm. dro drove them up out of this river valley up onto the flats of North Dakota, which are brutal winter-wise. But that a whole lake developed in between and everybody's homes were spread out and away from this center center. Mm. And mm. in that our clan systems, our uh, accountability to one another, the responsibilities of us being community, they all got moved out into isolated areas out in the country away from this like hub, mm. you know, and this is our long history of us being hub people. We had these earth lodge villages. We, we weren't nomadic like a lot of the other tribes on the plains. We lived along the river. We built these villages. You know, they're, they're really dependent on, on one another. So that actually did such huge damage to our social structures that we had to like redesign how we were as a way to describe who we were. And then at that river... The land that the lake was going to take up was annexed from the tribe. It ended up stealing like 40% of our mm -hmm. reservation. And now all of that's owned by the Army Corps of Engineers. So we're river people separated from our river. river. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And so seeing those that place here in Michigan <laughs> under the, the, the narrative of like, these are our hallowed 
halls, you know, of information, of store, of preservation and stuff like that. I can look at it on one point and being like, how do we remember, you know, who's the we in this conversation and pose all of those questions simultaneously. The first time I ever put my eyes on Elbow Woods was here, yeah. you know, mm. in Michigan, which is a trip. But also I think about like, I don't know, I'm, I'm reflecting on a lot of what you just said in terms of like my own personal history. But I think about the fact that, you know, this is not the first time I've heard of artists coming into collections and being like, oh, you have my ancestors in your collection. Mm. That's a photo of my great, great grandmother or somebody who was a part of my community. And um, the whole idea of that. So the university ha- has has this collection of photos and that is going to be used as a uh, further academic study where you get to separate yourself. Maybe you feel empathy, sympathy for the the story that has happened, but you still feel you're still disconnected from it. And it's a very different reality to now see your history right in front of you and the story that was a mere, a mere imagination in your or image in your head that is now reproduced. And I feel like that, that's, that feels so, I don't even have the word for it, but it just feels so like, uh, discombobulating or, or just so, mm. so uh, just like, yeah. Yeah. Let me say that mm. my brain does not accept those photographs. Yeah. Like wow. my, really? my, Oh yeah. My memory for some reason, like you brought it up and I was like, Oh shit, that's right. <laughs> my, for some reason, the memory of that place passed down through words and stories actually propagates the space of its shape in my head more than that photograph that I was exposed to, you know? And I'm like, and it's so weird because when I looked at it, I was like, holy, this is amazing. Like I have never seen it. And I totally forgot because for some reason my brain, your brain like said, okay, well that doesn't, they're like, uh, that's actually two dimensional. Yeah. And, uh, the Mm. image of that is too flat, you know, like the, the actual space is more than the land it inhabits. It is the story, you know, it's the recollection through tale. And for some reason it's like, it won't fit. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the, we, right. Oftentimes things are passed down lineages through story and not through like photograph necessarily as like the main way that we've evolved genetically as people to understand things and like have things be important. So to me, it makes sense that you would kind of block that out because you've lived with what that is forever in your heart through stories from your family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's even like a mental map of it in my head, which is like, silt on the bottom of the river up to the very like uh you know crest of of the houses and and also going there every summer and like going to the river you talk often about maintenance and preservation and maybe this is a great segue to go into kind of those thoughts but you go home to your homelands every year and you go to that river and there's like big cottonwood trees that are felled because of the flood that our kids play on at the banks of the river, which was the top of the hills, the, the hills when, yeah. when your grandparents were living there. So, yeah. Well, I think one thing I also want to come back to that was that, that Ozzy brought up was around the architecture, the stones coming from this place, places being named. And then that feeling of, oh, my relatives are here, you know? Mm -hmm. When we start talking about 
the repatriation of bodies, of cultural components, all of these sort of things, you, you, the scope of what you're related to is reduced to human remains, yeah. is reduced to human cultural, you know, things. And I'm like, oh no, every block of that building is a, now, according to, you know, my customs, a grandfather. And, and it's interesting, we gender stones, a stone that's in the ground is feminine, and a stone that's above the ground is masculine. So it goes from a grandmother to a grandfather. And so now these pieces that were quarried, they're relatives. Yeah. And so how do you address that? Once we start opening up these, these conversations around a true cultural exchange, what do you get to participate in in that culture and how deeply committed are you to fulfilling those those things? Because like the stone is the remains of a relative. I feel like I think it might be hard for folks to even engage with that because you have to there has to be a respect for the cosmology of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, what I was going to get at is that at, at UMA we did a project called Wish You Were Here, which is about African repatriation. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces for us uh, came in to someone's collection through the Nigerian Civil War. So for me, that piece, I couldn't even go buy it because my parents are survivors of that war. Mm. And that war very much affects, like like the war is very much a, a, a an ever looming presence in my household where my father talks about during the war and after the war. Mm. Uh, and it's only gotten much more present in the last couple of months with a major death in our family. So mm. that object, I couldn't even go near it because I was just like, this, this is just such, and it was smuggled, you know, like all things when, when physical conflict happens, it is easier to now destroy cultural, mm-hmm. history, cultural knowledge and, 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 and things and so even that object i was like i can't i can't go near any of this mm. uh because while it is a war and in the larger sense of like uh ah this is a really bad thing it's also very much now a part of the thing that also i'm it, it exists in me it's not something i can ever escape it's just it's it's like i'm tethered to it at this point mm. uh even though i did not live through it but i am tethered to it through my parents and the all the elders that are surrounded by me so i wonder also maybe i'm also wrong in saying that you can't get it unless you get the cosmology because i also wonder if like for other folks especially from other and i've mostly heard this from uh, excuse me, black alum from the university who talk about the building being such a repeller, like if there's something that they can feel as well from from the stone or from the building itself. So I don't mm. know. Yeah. And maybe that's a beautiful time to segue into like the second tier of this project, You're Welcome, which is talking about Meet the beast. Am I saying it right? Meet for the beast. <laughs> because it does meet for the beast. Because it does entail like critiquing the collection in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so meet for the beast. So a part of what's happening outside is was done in secret, shrouded in secrecy. Uh, so 
meat for the beast is actually the the ruse, the thing that is supposed you're we're we're signaling you to look at this before you even look at what's happening outside. So it is uh, a combination of chinupas. Uh, this is not a snake. The one who checks and the one who balances, and also the collections uh, to talk about this larger histories of resource extraction, land extraction, the violence of the land, and kind of the ongoing the ongoing um, violence that is happening and this larger connection to museum collections, which also, again, like they come in through some of the, the violent, violent aspects of war and displacement and that these are the things that fuel this beast that is made up of old tires and Constantina wire and uh, now the various parts of the collection, uh, photograph. Uh, copies of works on paper which also talk about you know everyone from uh, everyone from Edward Curtis to Imogen Cunningham and it talks about this larger histories of this kind of violence in this kind of really perfect white cubed space where all things are elevated and your body comports to it and your body sees this as again this thing that's supposed to be celebrated it is the representation of capital A capital W art world meanwhile there's this thing is actually violent <laughs> and various parts of this are actually violent uh, and the violence is it's still affecting people like if you parse it apart and talk about there's the oil cans, then you have to talk about the larger history of, of violence and oil come together or the ammunition or the concertina wire, like all these other, it makes up all these other things, but it's put together in this thing that's supposed to be majestic and awe-inspiring. Yeah, I think it also anchors the new architecture, right, of the museum. That's something that you see often, right? Like as you travel across the country, you see these, you know, archaic versions of power and temple building of like a large pillared structure. And then you see this like cancerous growth coming off of it that is like steel and glass. <laughs> it's like straddling it, poking What's out the here? side. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. And there and it's like a look at the new power. Mm. And being like, I don't actually want to address the power structure of this architecture. It's just too small, honestly. <laughs> you know, it actually just wasn't built well for our needs presently. And uh, it feels a little dated. And I don't know if it has the same power that uh, it originally had. So let's create a new shape that does value this like white wall, clean box like you know let's not distract from let, let us figure out a way to capitalize a and w in mm -hmm. art world and yet the building is a vitrine where it's like oh yeah it's still the same thing right like this exhibition is taking place in a in a gallery space that does have two glass windows so like it's literally a clear box mm -hmm. that from outside of the museum it acts as a vitrine, you know, it holds it. And so we put text on the outside of the exhibition space so that the viewer who does not enter into the museum sees it as the vitrine. Like, here's the info for it. And then everybody who's in the museum looking at it suddenly becomes a piece of it, mm. you know, Be meet for the beast. Yeah. <laughs> and in your work with Monument Lab, like that's kind of what you all are investigating tearing apart what was or dismantling what was and finding imaginative alternatives, right? 
Yeah, and I mean, this is a project that here at UMA kind of epitomizes the questioning of what we've inherited and really getting at the question of relationship between the objects, the monuments, the buildings we have inherited and the histories that we occupy and shape. And, you know, part of what I love about this project, despite the heaviness of the history it's contending with, is just how much of uh, uh, the history that we need um, to confront is all in that gallery, and it's accessible to those people who are not going to actually enter the building, um, who are going to get it as a symbol from afar, or who are going to read it. For those who come in, you're encountering materials. You know, Chinuba, you were talking about this yesterday. We were going through our walkthrough um, that, like, in a different context, are part of your life. Like, they're the tires from your car. They're, um, in, you know, in conversation with the gasoline that um, you utilize. But you're also pushing us to understand these objects, not just about, like, how they can gain value, but how they undermine our sustenance and survival. Mm-hmm. And to braid that together through research that Ozzy led on the collection itself, like there, there's no shortage. Like when you when you go into the mindset of a collection, you could look for like what is the most valuable monetarily or the most rarefied. Um, but going in with this logic of like, well, what has to do with extraction and displacement? And when you see the collection through that framework, and you realize there's multitudes mm. to it. You're seeing work that sometimes is calling out that history, like the work, you know, of Pope L or Kara Walker in this show. But you're also seeing landscape photography that constructed the idea of um, an undeveloped West of this country that was deeply embroiled with violent displacement and dispossession. And so, again, you know, I think it's... You can find in that room beauty, you can find violence, you can find horror, you can find survival. And I think when we take that out to the idea of like, what are the symbols and systems that we elevate in this country? That's actually what we're getting. The most common feature of American monuments is war. Hmm. I don't think our monuments actually tell us the true costs of war the true totality. They don't lead us in that sense. It's not what they're instructing us to do. They're instructing, they're, they're said kind of indicating profound forms of grief and loss and displacement. But for every monument you see in public or, every, or, or any memorial, you're also seeing the suppression of information and context, which is why people bring their rituals, their altars, their offerings in all kinds of different ways. I, I know that, you know, Ginger, you started out this conversation with the question of layers, like there's all this layers to mm-hmm. it. And, and I think that, you know, while there's so much going on in this show so productively, there's a lot going on in these buildings, in these monuments, on these campuses that get presented as neat, that presented as pristine. And actually, like, one of the most powerful things about this project has been to be able to ask questions of the things you walk by and take for granted every day and see how much history is both packed in um, but underemphasized or just suppressed and pushed away as part of the narrative in that spirit of knowledge production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's something interesting for me as a reflection is I know 
that gift is painted on a building, but the amount of unpacking architecture that I've witnessed take place through this project has been really thrilling, exciting, and also kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways for me just to be like, um, I'm embarrassed in ways about America and the, the way that we've bought into like these false myths and this false narrative. And so for the third layer of the project, there's the, the covering the building in the whiteness. And so I'd just like to kind of dive in and talk a little bit more about that. And it also feels like something that you just were expressing through your work with Monument Lab is like kind of like uncovering like uncomfortable truths. Yeah, I, you know, I think we're often presented, like, if you want to bring change to the commemorative landscape, like, you get a binary of, like, well, do we get rid of everything or do change we... Change the name. Keep, keep, yeah, do we keep it all? And, like, there's so much between the binary because it depends what your goal is. Like, if your goal is to make a problem go away or sweep it under the rug versus heal, repair, reimagine, reconstitute, like, you're going to have different approaches. And there certainly are symbols and buildings and names on buildings that are so abhorrent that, like, removing them is, like, um, removing something cancerous or toxic. And then also thinking about, like, what is the actual goal? And and I think that this this is something I would want to ask of any building or symbol that gets preservation. Like, why? And to be able to talk through it and to be able to understand where resources go. I think what's, again, so powerful about this project is like it's asking us to think about in a collective and um, both like sometimes intimate but sometimes very public ways the story of what this land is that we now call the campus. What is the story of the buildings that are gifted all of the time? The word gift appears all over this campus, Mm -hmm. but on neat little plaques or in pamphlets or, you know, dedicating anything from uh, a road to a desk to a bench. Mm -hmm. Um, There are rocks on campus that are commemorative, that commemorate trees that were moved here to construct the idea of a pastoral campus. So, you know, anything that is done that highlights that spotlights, that asks us to ask questions of what stands here, that is what knowledge production for me is about, like to be able to ask questions of what is around you. Knowledge doesn't exist as a finite resource to be mined um, or to be held up. It exists between people. And to me, that's the same thing about art. We were talking about that earlier today. Like beauty is constituted not as some, again, not as something finite that you put a frame around that you could hold. It is about what people bring to one another in that creative process. And I think like one of the most like amazing parts of this project, Chanupa is working with us, coming up with the proposal. It's very typical for exhibitions to have a beginning date and an end date. It's one of the things we're talking about time, ca- the, 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 a collegiate and the museum calendar. And Chanupa, you come up and you're like, the end of this project will be determined by the weather. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of cosmologies, it was like, wait, hold up. Like that as a concept had to be talked about in a number of bureaucratic meetings. And you were very clear about it, but you were honoring something really profound to you and challenging us as curators and challenging the systems that we're in 
to remember that we don't hold the power and the control, that um, just factoring that in and making sure that weather was like, as if like weather was represented and sitting at the table with us. Like, yeah, there's, there's something defiant and beautiful and true, profoundly true about it. And, and those moments to me get at how we remember in ways that um, are deep. Yeah. Well, we are also realizing that this clay will stick <laughs> to this building. <laughs> like the duration of it, if we allotted weather to be to decide when it's when it's over, the museum's going to try to wash it off. At the point at which they decide the exhibition is over, they're going to spray this building and clean the the whiteness off of the building, and it will remain. There will be little nooks and crannies. There will be a record of its being there. And honestly, the only thing that's ever going to get it off is the weather, is the erosion, is this slow and inevitable process that I speak of that's taking place on all of these buildings everywhere. And all of us. It's funny. I, I, do, I do like it. I, I, I don't even mind that it will be cleaned if it needs to be cleaned. Like, there might also be a weather event that we could never I have... I mean, it's Michigan, so... Right? <laughs> right? Like, what? 40-mile-per-hour winds? Hey, it, it could... It's possible. It, totally. With or, a, or an unplanned drought that, that, that bakes the building. <laughs> I mean, the ability, to, the ability to just experiment with a building is... When you're not an architect or a conservator, like, I, I think you set a path for artists to be able to play with the sites and symbols that we've inherited to actually bring them to life. Because as if you go by this, a lot of people pass by this every day, but very few people pause to actually behold it. Yeah. And speaking of things that will endure for those of us who spend time here, it, it will do a, uh, a trick on our minds, which is that we'll always see it. Yeah. Mm. And how does it feel for somebody who, works within this space how how do you think that it's going to impact the student body the staff like have you been kind of mulling that over and unpacking yeah that? i mean um i mean there is already a reddit thread about like did you see somebody like deface them? <laughs> i was like did somebody from staff do that did you see did they write the no. reddit thread there is a reddit thread <laughs> I went through it briefly because I was I was looking for something else and I was like, oh, okay, so you all noticed it. I mean, you know, it's always interesting when I get questions about how, like, thinking about how people react because I don't, I don't, I, I never really probe people because <laughs> I don't know if I really want your opinion on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probing people is, a, is that's a whole thing. I mean, because here's the thing, right? Because I was like, because... Remember, I feel like somebody asked us at the beginning of this project, especially knowing the climate of the country, what is happening in real time with, you know, the removal of talking about complicated, uh, painful, difficult histories in schools about like what happens, you know, if somebody comes up to the building and whatnot and has this particular type of opinion. And I, I mean, I off the cuff said, I don't care. Uh, they can take it up with management. Like, that's not my problem, not my issue. But I, but I was like, okay, I'm being kind of flippant. And then that could actually <laughs> affect somebody else. Um, but I think that like, uh, you know, I, 
I always, especially when things like this happen, that challenges people's perspective and the automatic, I don't, I don't want people to automatically say I like it or I don't like it. Like that is just feels very like, for lack of a better word, word intellectually lazy. Mm-hmm. I want like, if, if there is some type of reaction happening, I want you to go a little bit deeper. Okay. So this thing is like, you feel the anger rising inside of you. Okay. Why? Hmm. is it because you have been taught by looking at this building, you're supposed to revere it and we have defiled it because we are not being good stewards to the building. Uh, Does it make you curious about what's going on? Because you're just like, okay, what are you people doing? Who works here in this (laughs) building and why are you doing this? Like, I want people to like go beyond the thing. Like, like I, I don't want you just to stop at the I, I like or I don't like. I do, it just it doesn't do anything for me. I'm not interested to hear your opinion after that. Like go beyond like the. I mean, do whatever you want. You're a human. No one's gonna stop you. <laughs> like listening to this, like you're gonna be like, you can't tell me what to do. Fine, whatever. <laughs> but I just want people to just go the extra mile and just like think and like challenge themselves and feel like why is this thing like why is this thing keeping me here why do I need to stare at this thing why do I need to know why this is on here like just do do the extra work like I pro I I I'm interested in that Mm -hmm. even if it at the end it comes to the conclusion that you don't like it fine if this is a better way of saying you don't like it that's fine but I want you to do that exercise for yourself yeah and it seems like you all did that exercise for yourselves in the creation and coming together and figuring out how this project was going to be developed. And that's what I love about just Chinuba's in his practice and other like long-term works that he's done is like people can come and just react with like a couple words and hate it or like it, like you said, but they forget that there's like a whole entire couple of years and many, many people and community and protocols and asking permission and like speaking with elders, all of that is like laced in to those four letters and into that white wall. Like there's so much. So when people just like have an opinion without doing the work, it's almost like a reflection. Well, it's a reflection (laughs) of like exactly what the work is trying to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it, uh, I'm a sculptor, or I, I think of myself as a sculptor, you know? I, I'm like, oh, I make sculptures. I, it, like, in my head, i sculpt. In my head, I'm Michelangelo. You know what I'm saying? Fair. Like, okay. in my head, I'm... Wait, in car- your hand, you're Michelangelo? <laughs> no, in, okay. All in the head. All in the head. I'm like, I'm a sculptor. I make three-dimensional objects, you know, like uh, chiseling away. And there's a thing that sits in a place and takes up space. I've never seen you use a chisel. Never once. Or call yourself Michelangelo. I know. The Ninja Turtle. Not That's the correct. artist. Uh, you do uh, eat a lot of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... I. I think of myself in that way, and this is a really conceptual piece. It's so different than what... It's pushing me out of my own realms of comfort to, to do it, and all of that is through the process. Like, I, when, when I originally proposed it, I thought of myself, like, smearing the clay on the building. You know, like, I'll do it. It's going to be sweet. I have a plan. How long it'll take? I don't know. (laughs) Until it's done. But what I'm learning through this is that the object of clay on the surface of the building, the piece itself exists in that space where 
our history exists. Mm-hmm. It's not inside of the place. It's in between, right? So now I've, I've designed a sculpture, maybe the largest sculpture, and it's a few buckets of clay smeared over architecture that's already there, and it's created a buffer between the inside and the outside. It's actually existing in the place that any kind of art, any kind of cultural exchange exists. You know, it's not the object in that place. It's how you're reacting to it, each individual. It's in between. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm thinking back even to when we first got started with the project and, you know, when um, the director of the museum, Tina Olson, really said, like, for this collaboration between UMA and Monument Lab, before you even invite an artist that would end up being, you know, our work together, Chinupa, like, where would the artwork go? And we were given the prompt of, like, the facade of this building. Because it could have been a number of things. It could have been a, a, a plinth next to the building. It could have been a framed space inside of the building. And that was just such an interesting challenge because, Ozzy, I remember us just even walking around the building, like, what would an artist do? Yeah. Would they wrap the building? Would they do an opera suspended on top of the building? Like, what if an uh, artist was going to propose something that would last a day versus last a year? So, like, all of those questions that we had about this kind of vertical plinth um, but, like, it's not really an effective museum wall because it's not flat and not quote-unquote neutral as if that could ever exist. Like, you took it there with your work because it is about what happens in one day and what happens over the course of years. It is about opening up the museum as much as it is problematizing that there is a inside or outside. And that's very exciting, and it's all incredibly relational. All of it is relational, and that's relational between faculty, staff, students, between um, the museum and collaborators from the outside, like Monument Lab or, or your studio. And then just thinking about, you know, like, think there's some projects, I, I would put like this, for, for Monument Lab, one of our values is that process should matter as much as outcome. And it's in any project, like you both, that feels organic, and it's hard to keep up when you're always thinking about the exhibition opening or the project opening. Timelines, yeah. Mm-hmm. But truly, in certain projects, we get a sense when you move at the, when you try to move at the speed of trust, sometimes that process is actually going to take a bigger weight. Like in this project, it was much more important to go through um, protocols, to have conversations, not just um, with university stakeholders, but like the University of Michigan has a government relations lead who has relationships with the 12 tribes of Michigan and to understand what we were stepping into that was already long in process to see that the mu- that certain people at the museum have relationships with an indigenous students and staff but there wasn't formal structures to sustain that beyond what the person themselves was bringing mm-hmm. and as this project went on and on like it became clearer that yeah, yeah, the opening's fun, that's cool, but actually the relationships, if they get built with five people, 10 people, 30 people, that matters most. And that was like the most rewarding yeah, I mean, part of this. It, I, 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 mm-hmm. I mean, I think about the fact that, uh, 
came what August maybe I don't know September again this has been a long time time is relative but but I remember the first time you came and met with the students who are in the Native American Students Association like the first time you came and then the next time that you came in November and how comfortable they were with you like they would see they saw you walking in Uma they said hi and then you came back for powwow in March and I, I I just think about that whole entire time about the this part of the this part of the process of ta- of letting people know that you're here, of um, letting people know that we're doing this project because there are other things that are happening on campus that people are organizing for that like we're like, OK, so we have this big platform. How do we create the space so that you can amplify whatever you need to amplify? So th- I think that was also the very like it was very like heartwarming to see that happen throughout the course mm. of the two years, too. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's also, like, the cynic of me in my art practice, you know, is, like, I make these art objects, right? And they're luxury items. And they're they're traded and sold, and they clean money, and they exist as, like, a safety deposit box. This piece washes away. <laughs> like, the actual work of it doesn't get to go into the storm drains. You know, the uh, the actual work of it washes off of the building over time. But what you get is that, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that lasts here is this like bolstering of of kinships and relationships. You know, these the weird all the different departments that we had to interact with just to do this, you know. It's like, okay, so these paths already exist. Here's a way to reinforce those connections. Now we're talking to folks that maybe we wouldn't usually talk to in relationship to putting an exhibition here. And you're getting your, it's like bolstering these connections that already existed prior to me being here and hopefully are stronger now that I'm going to leave, you know? Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about time in this and what came before there was a campus and the history of activism and art making on this campus and then what will happen over the next six months. I'm really excited about those futures that we can't conjure. Some of those futures that we'll be a part of and some that our descendants will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I I know one of the first conversations that we had, Chinupa, you were like, this is a great opportunity to do this here and to engage here at Michigan, but I actually would love to do this in other places. Like, I think one of the powerful moments that once you authorize this, like, you know, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling a certificate of authenticity. Right. I hereby have been allowed to mess with this building and we all kept going. So I'm going to hereby do it again. Yeah. And then every time you do it or another artist gets inspired and does it, we're not just dealing with those buildings. We're dealing with the mindsets that have held us in place, mm-hmm. that have kept us in a status quo that we know is not working, that we're bursting at the seams from, but that that's what this work is about. To think about what it means for the individuals, whether they were closely working together, whether there was a structure to it or not, what comes from that? Like, I just like that we are able to have a conversation with a group of freshmen at the university today where where we explain the reason why the clay wasn't allowed to go directly in the drain. Mm -hmm. And this is like a civic, municipal, nerd out pragmatic, which is (laughs) you get fined by the county if a certain amount of clay, which is a natural 
earthly material gets put into the water system. Meanwhile, your car that's leaky, you know, the chemicals that get poured out, all of salts. the all of the salts and synthetics that keep the university going during the deep freeze months. Like, oh no, 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 that's cool. Like just to be able to have a conversation about, hey, you know that the thing that we're doing right now will not hold that we're going to have to find ways to survive with one another. Like the life of that for all the cynic in me having moments where you're able to say there's another way and art is going to make part of that, but then you have to take the mantle of that. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that becomes the future part of this project that we don't yet know that that we want to see. Yeah. And so as we round out this conversation, there's been like just so much enthusiasm and hope, but I know in a big project like this, oh, hope is a naughty word. It is for me. I like it. I'm into it. <laughs> that's, for, that's for part two. <laughs> but I just wanted to talk about um, whenever you grow creatively um, in anything, you feel you have these moments of uncomfortability of wanting to quit. And I know I get to those that's points. That's real. And so I just wanted to kind of ask you each to reflect on a point in this project where you were like, this is out of my comfort zone. I can't do this. Or, you know, just like kind of share that do vulnerability. Time? <laughs> yeah. time. I'm all, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I just think it would be so important for a huge project like this to like just share the behind the scenes in those ways yeah. to what you're comfortable with. You, I mean, oh, Ozzy, you you were starting with that, like, Do I? T- oh. well, because you, I, I just think about all the time, all the times you brought up time as something incredibly meaningful to consider, and the effect of the people working on the project. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I, there were multiple, because again, I keep thinking about the original timeline for this project, and I would just sit here and say, <laughs> it's not gonna work. Try again, and I <laughs> plotted. I will tell. I will say it now. I plotted. I schemed. I went up to people, planted the seeds in their head, said, "Do you think we could push this back just a little bit?" Uh, I did that. I did that. I, it's fine. Thank you. Because I was just like, mm-hmm. I, I was like, you all are so eager, Beaver, and that's cute and all, but the reality <laughs> of the situation is that it's not. It's not going to work. So try again. So I had to be that. And I said, if I am the person who has to do this, I said, there's a problem because I never want to be that person, but I will be that person if we need to. Mm, but I will say that um, I will say that for me, uh, I think, you know, I think having to deal with the bureaucracy of it all was just so like, I don't like doing I like being risk adverse I was just like do mm-hmm. I need to start coming up with a plan b plan c I said can I go work on another project because I'm not I don't want to have to deal with all these personalities I don't want to have to explain why this project is important I don't want to put our artists in a situation where they now need to defend themselves like when that is our responsibility if we're going to you and also I was just like there's just so much happening I'm burnt out of all of this and can I quit? <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I, can we just, can we put, I, I almost said, can we push this back just a little bit more? I just need a little bit more time. Mm. Um, but I think for me, it was just having to deal with the powers that be. I was just like, I just, and again, this, the, the cynic that also resides heavily in me. I was just like, I don't want to have to deal with all this bullshit. Like you all don't like, I don't, 
there are so many things that are happening right now. Just say yes. Say yes. Get out of our way. Leave me alone. I don't want to have to do this. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were just I just looked at this and said, I don't I don't know what to do. I can't help you with this. I thought I made it so simple. Like in all oh, really? honesty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut no, up. no, I mean, <laughs> if you want to see the email in design, yeah, you know, in in practical application, like all of the things that we had to do, we like, were very excitable. We said, "Oh yeah, this is great." Totally. And then we were like, "Oh, university." Right. Yeah, no, but in my head, like I was like, "It's slip. It will wash away." I'm like, it's silica on sandstone. You said that too? It's not going to be yeah. a problem. But it was beautiful seeing how you also learned through that process of complication and bureaucracy, like going into other project asks that come from universities being like, you know what? Not without Monument Lab and OZ. <laughs> you know, just like not without a team that has your back because you guys all showed up for him in a way that I've never seen being his studio director. I've never seen people show up in the way you all have. So, mm. yeah, that means a lot. And it yeah. ma- made it worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely like affects the way that I look at doing public art projects. What's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, no. You could do better. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with Ozzy and Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like. Oh. So what's your what's your uncomfortable grow, growing spurt growth spurt through this? Yeah, I mean, Paul. I, I'm 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 uh, taking it all in and just thinking about um, this. This may sound simplistic, but it's something I'm thinking a lot about, which is change is possible. Change is hard. Those who seek to push the status quo, let alone break it, have to take on with their mind, body, and soul the throes of control that keep the status quo in. And that you can have people, and I'm saying about this about this project, but many others too, people who say they want to change and show up for change and seek grants for change. The systems that they operate in are not meant for change. And then many of those people, and we're included in that, have to figure out how much of the system you use and how much of the system you must go around. And I think one of the things that was the growing pain or challenge point were moments where like, we negotiate against ourselves. And a lot of effort was put in and like, there is no, this is an art project that doesn't quite have a precedent. And that's the point. It has cousins and kin and points of inspiration and citation, but this is actually seeking to do something that has never been done in this way. How do you lean on the other projects and especially the insights from curators um, at UMA, including Ozzy, including Laura DeBecker, who have been doing work to challenge the boundaries of the museum? And how do you not negotiate against yourselves? Because there's, there's, trust me, there are, Sometimes it's the bad actors and the naysayers, but a lot of times the systems that we're in can do the work on us. And so I think that part of what is the flip side of that is working with an artist like Chinupa is that you have a reason to go to work every day. You're like, my job is, they've set the terms. We have people who um, are within systems that are not amenable to change, but love artists for beautiful reasons and for nefarious ones at that. So actually all we have is art 
to defy capitalist logic. All we have is art to defy conservation that values, you know, property over people. And so I think like the flip side of that is seeing like, all right, we got art here. Our job is to make the artist, you know, as a curator, our job is to make the artist's dream come true and to try to absorb bureaucratic angst as much as possible. And you also then have to cleanse yourself of that too and figure out what you're doing there. And that has to be your art as a curator is the art of the email, the art of the oive exhale, the art of like, hey, I think we got to talk about this meeting before we have the meeting. Or or we now need to go on the Zoom where clearly these people don't like us and clearly your boss has said they're going to do it regardless. And now we all have to sit in this very uncomfortable (laughs) meeting when we know you don't like us. Yeah, there's something, I, I will say there's something very... Seinfeldian about this whole project. It's like meta. It's the project um, about deep meaning, but also on some level, like <laughs> like about like what is the show? Yeah, I I think that like those moments that Ozzy you're mentioning. I also think about the moments where, um, and I and I say this to all those folks out there trying to find their way through. Some people work inside institutions and seek to change them. Some people say the institution can't work for me, and I got respect for everybody on the spectrum on that. And I think what you're also looking for in that Zoom meeting or the phone call, you trust your instinct or intuition, and you say, who here is one of my people? Who here is someone I can organize with? Who's someone here, despite the systems they're in, that we should actually have an exchange of what's going on? And, you know, especially working with you, Ozzy, there have been these moments where I value your wisdom and insight, and we have to hear one another, despite the meetings and the moments and the, and the minutes um, so I think part of this also is like, how do you operate in structures that are not meant to experiment, but but love experimentation and ultimately do it all for the purpose of art as a mode of transformation, of truth-telling, of reconciliation? Mm. So profound. And I relate to that on so many levels. So thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. And Chinupa, what what has been your learning curve here? The point with which you, uh, the point of no return for you. This is the show. And we're not going to change it. I've been eating grapes the whole time. Like these two. (laughs) Like, ah. But I, I didn't even realize there was difficulty from where I was Shut sitting. Up. It was smooth. Um, privilege. It's a privilege to it's be a an artist. Privilege. <laughs> and you know what? I still wake up being like, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we're on day six of no sleep. And yeah. we're like, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah, well, we wiping up the crust from my eye. I'm making ready a documentary to- about it. But yeah. that's our, but that is you know that's our job. Our job is for you to think deep. Yeah, and that's the no matter it. no matter what the grape situation is, <laughs> or not. Uh, yeah, and no. I, grapes I, we, are for the kids. And we can I say we can night. say on the record that we're talking about an artist who is profoundly working <laughs> and profoundly putting in. And and Ginger, of course, you are a key part of this project yeah. to break that wall. Like, just to be very clear for the for the record, <laughs> um, how much effort, work, brilliance, vision, and, and, and just awesomeness has gone into both of your work here. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know, points of contention, I don't know. I, it, it has honestly been easier than any other one I've ever done. 
hands down. Well, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Thank you. Just to have a little... <laughs> Tell us the truth. Well, I just... On the record, <laughs> I just want to say that I think Babe. that there's been some... <laughs> <laughs> there's been some... There's been exponential growth in the realization of what Chinupa is as an artist and a letting go of that, like, sculptor, you know, as like that. Michelangelo. <laughs> He's never Hero been that. Half show. He's always been a, a frontline kind of a person, all in 110%, very collaborative, very community-based, but he has this, like, weird romantic vision of himself as just a sculptor and a maker of objects. And that's one really big and critical point of his practice. But I have to be honest that he's never only played that game. And this project kind of was a mirror for him to see that what is possible when you open up to allow help to allow all mm. these brilliant minds who are so skilled in doing stuff that you aren't necessarily good at to help you realize a vision and there's a lot of letting go in that and that is uncomfortable and I've witnessed him go through that process with this project of like and I kept saying like the next step and he's like I hate that don't say that <laughs> I told Paul about the next oh. step yeah <laughs> and I'm like I don't mean the next step like sell out I mean the next step like step in to support step into like a uh, big ideas being realized through multiple minds. But I also wonder if it has to do, because I feel like we, we might have had a bit of this conversation. You, you started this project at a time where you're, I mean, I'm going to break the fourth wall, but you started this project at the time that your public profile also started increasing. So I can't imagine of having to be kind of like scrappy and do it on your own and like build the plan as you're going. And then suddenly huge institutions are now coming to you and being like, okay, like we can handle these parts. You show up as the artist. Yeah. And I can't imagine, can I curse on this? Yeah. Okay. Can't imagine what a mind fuck it must be. <laughs> a whole entire segment of what I had to say just gone. One large beep censored, but I can't imagine how much of a mind fuck it must be to have to do that. Because if you're so used to operating in this space mm -hmm. and then suddenly everybody knows your name and you have a New York Times profile and all this is happening and people are coming to you having to let go of all of that. And I, I, I don't know if I would handle that well either because I would just be like, this is just weird. All of this is weird. It's super weird. I, I think as, as we're saying all of this, I'm looking at it and I'm stepping out of myself and looking at myself and it looks like a, how a crustacean or an insect... <laughs> you know, <laughs> slips its exoskeleton, Yeah, you know? And when it first does that, it's soft. And it's like everything kind of hurts a little bit. It, it's you're like, tender. Yeah, and you're, and you're super sketchy, you know, where you're like, dude, my meat is right at the edge of this, <laughs> and I can feel everything. Meat for the base. And the air hurts yeah. until it gets hard again. You know, I can barely move. That's kind of what I'm seeing. Like I'm for as much as I'm like, quit saying next step. I'm like, I think a lot of that mind fuckery is literally like 
defense mechanisms being like, okay, I just slipped an exoskeleton and I'm, I have to grow a new one in order to be able to navigate in this space, but I'm, I'm still soft right now, you know, in that, in that shift. Yeah. But you're not alone. And I think that that's the thing is like, what I love about witnessing the way you work on projects is that you make lifelong friends. Like you are able to like step into spaces and like put your best foot forward and give all you got 110%. And that's beautiful, you know? And I think that you're, you are primed actually to, to form your next exoskeleton. (laughs) Do you form it or do you find it? I'm going to make it of people. Pe- friends. I'm like, I'm going with the, <laughs> with the metaphor, but I'm here for that. Anyways, I just wanted to say, like, I think that's like one thing that we were even talking about last night is like, you gotta find a way to maintain the joy because the bureaucracy yeah. is gonna crush you no matter what. It's like, but you're doing it for the love, right? Uh, you, well, love. I think you. I think it's um, it is very important to not to make sure you don't give away your joy and your purpose. Because people will try to slap it out of your hands or grab it from you or try to define you. And I think that's where the relationships matter most. Like you, you figure out those relationships also include yourself. Like I was thinking about as you're talking about that, like I've been trying to have this mantra of like tender is tough and tough is tender. And like both of those things go together. And that if you have a moment where you feel exposed, sit with that, go to where you feel safe go to the people you feel safe with and also like take in why that mattered and then try to have like whatever got you here, have that be the source that gets you through, but also you're changing. Yeah. I'm like this, just to put another analogy on it, (laughs) the supple branch doesn't break. Right. Oh, you know, come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, I'm soft right now, but like, uh. <laughs> I mean, nothing will snap it'll uh. just wiggle as these waves of dread wash over me <laughs> well where's the camera he's doing doing an impersonation yeah, he's swaying he's swaying <laughs> well yeah I always like to kind of end with uh, notes of the fact that we're human beings operating in systems and so I really appreciate you all kind of um, breaking that down and is if there's anything you'd like to say to the world and this is your platform my project is independent it's not like funded or supported um uh, intentionally you know so this is a space for you to swear to speak your truth it people do listen to it from all over the world so if there this is your soapbox moment each of you if there's something you want to say or if you want to um relate anything else about the project obviously you said we do it for the love and i was like love but uh i was joking and I'm, I'm putting that out there right now that I was joking when I said that because, you know, whatever that emotion is, whatever, however you want to spell it, whatever it means to you in that sense, it's not, it's not reduced to like or dislike. It's not reduced to joy or sorrow. It is broader and all-encompassing. And it is possibly what keeps the moon connected to the earth, you know? It's maybe that's the the expression of love that I think is necessary to do this sort of work. And um, you have it and you don't. 
all the time. Like it comes in and out. It's like, uh, uh, it's not to be possessed. It is, it's, it is a thing. And, and that's why we do it. We do it for that love. You know, Mm -hmm. we do it for that thing that is the space in between all of the little, little bits and nooks and crannies and bureaucracies and structures and relationships and experiences. It's for that in-between space. You it's know? those four-letter words, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Gift. <laughs> Hope. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Paul, have you thought of your soapbox moment? Um, I think everyone should follow Chanupa Hanska Luger on Instagram, <laughs> Uma Monument Lab. Um, You're welcome. Opens September 22nd and runs through February 18th, but actually will live in perpetuity and fade in away. Hearts forever. Uh, yep, that's right. No, and and just um, the word I, I want to say in case I haven't said it yet is gratitude. Gratitude to Chanupa, to Ginger, to your whole family, and, and your whole the, all of the circles around you that have brought that spirit of love, of fight, of truth, of of wholeness to this whole project that made it possible and nourished us to be able to get up and do the work. Gratitude to Ozzy for operating as a curator with an immense amount of vision and also in systems that were hard to knit together. And just being able to learn profoundly from you, Ozzy, um, being able to have these moments where, like, despite the challenges of how to put on the show that's clinging to the side of the museum, um, to see, have those moments of learning together really meaningful. And so gratitude there and gratitude to everybody who was a part of this. And just thinking, like, for anyone who's walking by, moving by that building, if or, or they're scrolling on, on their Instagram, to take a moment to pause and say, why are they doing this? And what does that mean to you? I have gratitude for those people as well. Um, because I think any moment that we bring our questions and our our time, which is constantly disappearing, we can't hold on to it. Um, but we can embrace um, the idea that we can we can be intentional. And that intentionality, whether it's a millisecond or um, an extended moment, I have gratitude for that as well. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And Ozzy, what do you have to close us wow. out? <laughs> the grand I'm finale. So Should've... excited for my Workers of the World Unite speech. <laughs> <Here we> go. <laughs> um, Bring it. No, on. but um, yeah, I mean, I'm really grateful for this experience for the last couple of years with all of you. Uh, it is going to be very weird because also this is my last project at UMA uh, because I will be leaving for grad school and I will be a poor grad student. <laughs> so excited. Um, but I think the biggest thing I feel like, I think when I became a curator, first I think it was a very weird time uh, to be a black curator with everything that was happening in 2020. Um, and the biggest thing I remember learning when I took a, um, a like museum professional seminar through the Studio Museum in Harlem was this whole idea of the history of the curator. As so much of our work is about the care of the object and not the care of the people or care of the audience. Um, and so I feel like this big, what I've learned from this whole entire thing is the importance of care work through this whole 
whole entire process? And what does it mean to um, be accountable to each other? And uh, I'm just really grateful that everybody showed up the way, the best way they could, mm. given all the circumstances, given all the commitments, um, given all the nonsense that was thrown at us. Uh, I probably, I, w- I will be reflecting on this project for a really long time, but I just really appreciate uh, the care that went into this work because I know how easy it is to not care, to say mm. that like, we are doing this for the show and glory of all of it. And, you know, fuck how you feel. But, but I really care. Another one. Yay. Keep it coming. My mother's going to listen to this and just... I... Anyway. Uh, but just, uh, I really appreciate the way that everybody showed up in this process. Because I know it was not easy. I know that there were many moments that a lot of people were just like, I just, I, I can't think about this or I don't want to do this. So, so yeah. So I guess in the, when we think about our work as cultural workers, as artists, as museum workers, I hope we also think about the care that needs to go into this, not just for the work, but also each other. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Workers of the world unite, general strike now, support your local union. Thank you. Pew, pew, pew. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. So much love to you. I'm excited to DJ at the opening yeah. on Friday <laughs> and um, watch the final layer of the onion unfold. <laughs> I yeah. like onion. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be fun. Yeah. You all will be there. I will be there. Yeah. Put uh, fun and fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also, you know, I as we're talking about all of this... <laughs> I want to take us all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) Okay. You know? (laughs) Bye, everyone. There were these little moments that I value the most from this that took place in weird little cars or walks to cafes or, like, in the, uh, you know, alleys in Ann Arbor going with... (laughs) You and Jess to Detroit yeah. and getting like go to that my, sugar yeah, place. Yeah, you. We stopped at my house. You yes. all briefly saw my mother. We drove away. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's. It's like I see all of us as workers of the union, <laughs> <laughs> soldiering on as as need be in the in the you know front lines. All of these words, but like my favorite stuff is that you know those and like the meals. <laughs> And eating with with folks from from you know NASA and stuff like that, you know different departments, that that is gold, like that is gold, and uh, we oftentimes forget about all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where's that joy live? It lives it lives in those spaces, yeah. you know. Yeah. Lives in the back of a lift, forty <laughs> miles, uh, driving from Detroit to Ann Arbor, trying to get an airplane. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, mm. somehow edit that forward. <laughs> yeah. Put Bella Chow at the beginning. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at the end, just so everybody knows that now that Chinupa has this headset on, he just wants to. I also want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Press stop. Go about your life. Contact urban conflict. I'm a disaster. Fight for clean water. Now that's a better rapper. Red blood, red skin, highly forsaken. You talking, I won't. That's the difference. I put my
salvation in my pain medicine Never afraid to go and get it in Never been a lame and a lame is what I never been I do this for my dead relatives and every boy is fucking on a land settle me I hope you understand the beast that is awoken is a proud native and never mistaken for a token If you're looking for a problem then I think you might have found them I'ma always stand up and let them know I am astounding No Met a native who was conquering, toppling over offerings, imagine another stopping me. I've been the topic of prophecies, ancient Indian philosophies to find the words of toss at thee. I am a cocky being, being a being of aqua's kings. My lack of father figure made my future not so clean. Stuck to a hollow dream, stumbled through my first 16. I was written out of pain, that started when I reached my teens. Stayed on a solo mission, life taught me to go the distance. Way before Kevin Costa was told from a ghostly vision. Can't say my pot to pissing, wasn't porcelain. Treat you like burgundy and fracture your upper dose of mirrors. Reds came off for years, minus the black trench. Point to left field, start crushing the first pitch. You know, like you just switch. That 